0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open our Bibles together. We turn this afternoon first to Psalm 139 and secondly to Matthew 5. We read these passages in connection with Lord's Day 37, which is about the third commandment, specifically about the swearing of oaths. Psalm 139. For the director of music of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now we turn to the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew 5, we'll read the verses 33 through 37. Here we listen to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ about oaths, which he gave on in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair, white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This afternoon I may proclaim the gospel of grace, as the church confesses this in Lord's Day 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and the New Testament May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No. A lawful oath is a calling upon God who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week as congregation, you considered together Lord's Day 36 about the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Today we come to Lord's Day 37, which focuses on a specific aspect of the third commandment, namely using God's name when we swear an oath. The oath is not used all that often in our day to day lives. Many of us will go through life without ever having to swear an oath. Does it make sense, then, to dedicate an entire Lord's Day to that topic? Well, apparently the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism thought it does. And indeed, there is much that we can learn from the oath. Like every other teaching in the Bible, what the Bible teaches us about swearing oaths is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped For every good work, those well-known words from 2 Timothy 3. The oath is God's gift to a broken world. We live in a sinful society where people are liars by nature. And yet there are certain situations where it is especially critical that we can count on someone's words. And for such situations, God has given his people the oath. He allows us to appeal to him as a witness that what we are saying is dependable. More than that, the oath reminds us that God always hears our words. He holds us accountable for whatever we say. I should always speak as though I were under oath. As God is my witness. That's our theme for this afternoon. God is my witness. And that means, first of all, he is always reliable. And secondly, I am always accountable. The previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 36, already referred to oaths. And among the sins against the third commandment, it mentions perjury and unnecessary oaths. Now, Lord's Day 37 picks up on that latter sin of unnecessary oaths. If it's wrong to swear unnecessary oaths, then what's a legitimate oath? That's essentially what question and answer 101 is asking. May we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? During the Reformation, when the catechism was written, the Anabaptists believed that the oath was a thing of the past, something from the Old Testament that should no longer be used by Christians in the New Testament age. And as proof text, they pointed to Matthew 5, which we read together, where the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, the early and radical Anabaptists also rejected the authority of the government They believed that Christians ought to live together in a community that was independent of the state and separated from society. It's against this historical context that the authors of the catechism went in a different direction. They acknowledged the rights of the government to demand an oath of its subjects. There are basically two kinds of oaths which governing authorities may require. One is found in the courtroom where a witness in a trial is asked to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The other kind is the oath of office where an officer of the state, such as a prime minister or a member of parliament, a judge or a military official swears an oath that he will execute his office faithfully. Now, the catechism refers to these two kinds of oaths with the words fidelity and truth. Fidelity or faithfulness refers to the oath of office. You swear to serve faithfully. Whereas truth refers to the kind of oath that you swear as a witness in a trial. You swear to tell the truth. But besides the oaths that the government may demand of its subjects, the Catechism also says that we may swear an oath when necessity requires it. What does that mean? Well, John Calvin speaks in his Institutes of oaths that are sworn in private between two people. And these are different from the oath of the courtroom and the oath of office, which are usually sworn in public. The Bible gives a number of examples of such private oaths. You can think, for example, of Jacob and Laban. In Genesis 31, when Jacob took his wives and his children to return to Canaan, then we read that Laban caught up with him. And he made Jacob swear an oath, saying, If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters... Even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. And then the two of them went their separate ways. Laban returned home to Paddan Aram, and Jacob went in the opposite direction to Canaan. Laban had no way of making sure that Jacob would actually keep his promise. And that's why he had Jacob swear an oath to appeal to God to make sure that Jacob would keep his word. Another example is when King Saul once said to David, I know that you will surely be king and the kingdom will be established in your hands. Now, swear to me, said Saul, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And David gave his oath. You read that in 1 Samuel 24. Or think of the time of Ahab when there was a famine in Israel. While Ahab and his servant Obadiah were searching for the prophet Elijah, the prophet suddenly showed up and he said to Obadiah, go tell your master Elijah is here. Now Obadiah was worried that Elijah might suddenly disappear again. He knew that if that happened, his life wouldn't be worth a nickel. And so he said, I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If if I go and tell Ahab that he doesn't and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. And in that situation, to reassure Obadiah that his life was not in danger, Elijah swore an oath. As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. One Kings 18 So it seems that private oaths were sworn in exceptional situations, in emergencies. When mere words are not trustworthy enough, then the Lord's name is invoked. God allows himself to be called upon as a supporting witness. The creator of heaven and earth is willing to stoop down to our level. To be a witness to the oaths that his creatures make. And that shows his mercy and his love for the world that he has made. So what exactly does God do as a witness? Question and answer 102 says that he bears witness to the truth. Notice that it does not say that he bears witness to our oath. God does not automatically support whatever we have sworn No, God wears witness, God bears witness to the truth. We should never be tempted to think that the oath is a way of getting God on our side. God cannot be controlled or manipulated or bribed. He stands on the side of truth. He's always reliable. If if you swear to tell the truth. Then you need to realize that God knows the truth. And if you lie under oath then God's testimony will stand against yours. Perjury is such a grievous sin precisely because people who lie under oath don't take God seriously. If you promise to do something under oath, then God will hold you to it. If you say, God knows I'm telling the truth. When you're actually lying. Then you are dishonoring God. You're you're trying to put God on the side of your lie. You're putting God on Satan's side and God will not stand for that because God is truth. A godly oath, says the catechism, gives glory to God. You see, when I call on God as my witness, I confess that he is reliable, that his testimony can be counted on. More than that, I acknowledge that he knows what the truth is. I acknowledge that. I might be able to fool others, but I can't fool God. Because God knows everything. I acknowledge that God knows my motives, my intentions, my heart. We read that in Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. When I swear an oath, I also acknowledge that God is in a position to punish me if I swear falsely. I am accountable. We also read that in Psalm 139. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Did you notice that quick transition in Psalm 139? It's about how God knows us so intimately and so on, even in our mother's womb. And then all of a sudden there's a different kind of verse. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. It's almost as though it doesn't fit. And yet it actually fits quite well. What does the psalmist say about the wicked? He says, they speak against you with evil intent. Your enemies misuse your name. Third commandment. When a person swears an oath, he acknowledges that God knows everything, that God is faithful and true and just. But the the oath also shows God's goodness and his love. In a broken and sinful world in which people are bent on lying and deceiving one another, God gives the oath. He allows sinful people to use his name as a supporting witness for the truth. God himself steps in to bolster the side of truth over against the side of Satan, the father of lies. Psalm 139 shows that God knows our thoughts and intents, our heart, and that's relevant for the third commandment and the swearing of our oaths. It also shows that he is the judge who punishes those who misuse his name. But there's still a nagging question. What about that passage that we read in Matthew 5? Did Jesus not teach that we are not to swear at all? Simply let our yes be yes and our no, no. And anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Those are forthright words from our Savior. On the basis of this passage, the Anabaptists taught that the oath was not to be used in the New Testament age. Now, the rest of Scripture does not seem to support their position. After all, even the Lord Jesus Christ allowed himself to be put under oath. We read that in Matthew 26, when Jesus was on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Up to this point, Jesus had been silent But when the high priest put him under oath, then he made a statement and he didn't say, oh, no, sorry. This is the New Testament age. We don't swear oaths anymore. No, Jesus allowed himself to be put under oath. And he said, yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Christ submitted to an oath. He called God as his witness. And then you remember what happened next. The high priest tore his clothes and he said, he has spoken blasphemy. And they all condemned him to death. Isn't that ironic, brothers and sisters? The high priest and all those present condemned Jesus for blasphemy, for sinning against the third commandment at the very moment when Jesus spoke the truth under oath. He obeyed the third commandment perfectly. Besides the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul also used the oath on at least two occasions. In Romans one, verse nine, Paul writes, God is my witness that I always make mention of you in my prayers. And in two Corinthians one We find these words, I call God as witness against my soul that it was to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. So when the Apostle Paul wanted to make a strong statement that he really wanted to impress upon his readers and worried that they might not take his word for it, he used the oath. And then also in Revelation 10, which we read this morning, we read about an angel who raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. So it's simply not true that the oath disappeared in the New Testament age. Still, though, what are we to make of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew five? Well, we need to have a close look at that passage First of all, notice that Jesus introduces his teaching there with the words, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. Now, in the days of Christ's earthly ministry, the Jews were focusing especially on that last bit. Keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. In other words, if you swore in the Lord's name, you had to keep the oath, But, What if you swore by other things, such as heaven or by earth or by the city of Jerusalem or by your own head? People thought that some oaths were less serious than others. And so they found a a clever way to duck out of their commitments. Well, you see, I, I, I didn't really swear by the Lord, so I don't have to keep my oath. Maybe you've seen children who cross their fingers when they make a promise thinking that then they don't have to keep their promise because after all, they had their fingers crossed, so it doesn't count. It's the same sort of crooked thinking. It's this deceptive use of the oath that the Lord Jesus Christ was actually condemning in Matthew 5. We find the same sort of thing in Matthew 23 where where Jesus says to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Woe to you blind guides! You say... If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who's sitting on it. And so the message of Christ is very clear. There's no such thing as a half oath. Swearing by something less than God does not make a person any less accountable to God. There's another thing that we need to keep in mind about Matthew 5. That passage that we read there is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is about life in the kingdom of heaven. In the past, God had given his people the oath because of the fall into sin, which brought so much lying and deception into the world. But now Christ has come who is the way and the truth and the life. Those who follow Christ are followers of the truth. They must become known as dependable people, people who can be counted on to keep their word. Renewed after the image of God, they must reflect the faithfulness of God himself. In the kingdom of heaven, it should not be necessary to swear an oath in order to convince others that they should trust that you're telling the truth. It's one thing if we're required to swear an oath in a court of law, because then we're more than likely dealing with unbelievers. But there should no longer be a need for private oaths between two believers. Among Christians, a simple yes or no should be sufficient. I remember when... I was in elementary school that as kids we used to swear oaths quite often. Little Sally would say to Samantha, I'll tell you a secret, but you gotta promise not to tell anybody else. And Samantha would say, I cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Now, at that age, I don't think we really understood what we were saying. But it's, it's actually an oath. May I die or become blind if I don't keep my promise. That's what the catechism calls an unnecessary oath. So don't say such things, boys and girls. Simply say, yes, I promise. And do your best to keep your promises so that your friends will know that they can trust you. Here's another example. Bob is telling his friends about something he did last weekend. The story sounds a a little far-fetched, and his buddies look a little skeptical. So Bob says, it's true, I swear. Now, saying I swear is a way of strengthening your words. It adds just a bit of oomph. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, don't swear. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, practice telling the truth without exaggerating so that those around you may learn that your words can be trusted. Be the person of whom others say, well, if if he said it, if she said it, it's got to be true. In the church of Christ, you live among believers. You You live in the kingdom of God. And that's why we normally do not use an oath in church. When ministers or elders and deacons are ordained to office, they are not sworn in as prime ministers or members of parliament are. They are simply asked to say, I do. And the Lord takes them at their word. When we present our children for baptism or when we make public profession of faith, we do not swear an oath, but we simply say, I do. In Holland, they simply answer, yeah, yes, yes. That's all the Lord asks of us, a simple yes. But that does not mean that we are any less accountable. God hears the yes. He hears the promises that we make. He's our witness, and we are as accountable for our words as if we had sworn an oath. And we have to make sure that our yes remains yes. Now, may the oath ever be used in the church, Normally not, but there may be exceptional circumstances in in which the oath may be helpful. Also in the church, Professor Dauma gives an example in his book, The Ten Commandments. He writes, imagine that there is a brother in the church whose reputation is being attacked by rumors. No one can prove the rumors, but no one can disprove them either. And when the brother is approached about the matter, he denies the rumors. And imagine then that the matter causes quite a stir in the church, and the brother tries to defend his name, but it's all in vain. His word is simply not good enough. What can he do? May he swear an oath before the office bearers? Well, here we should be careful. The office bearers should not quickly require someone to swear an oath. Otherwise, there is the danger that a person who is actually guilty will feel under pressure to swear that he's innocent just so that he won't get caught. But if someone comes to the consistory and volunteers to swear an oath and he says, brothers, I'm prepared to swear that the rumors about me are not true, then what? Well, then the consistory may first warn him about the seriousness of an oath, that an oath is an appeal to God to bear witness to the truth and also to punish him if he swears falsely. They should remind him that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And they should tell him that they are not requiring an oath of him. But then if that brother still insists on swearing an oath because he needs to clear his name, The consistory may acquiesce and take his oath. And then brothers and sisters, that should be the end of the matter. Also in the congregation. As we read in Hebrews 6 verse 16, the oath confirms what is said and it puts an end to all dispute. When the oath is used in this way, it can promote peace in the church. It can give relief to that brother. And yet the fact that he had to resort to an oath to clear his name, that his simple word was not good enough. That's a sad testimony that the brokenness of the world is still evident in the church here of all places where the Holy Spirit is at work. We should be able to believe each other, to trust each other's words. Congregation, the oath is designed to make people extra careful with their words because God is listening. As Christians, we know that God is always listening. And so the oath should actually become a model for our everyday speech. We should always speak as though we were under oath. Why? Because we are known in the world as people of God, as people who bear God's name. The name that we received on our foreheads when we were baptized. And that's why we need to be known in the world as truthful, reliable people, as people whose word can be trusted. Because we have a reputation to uphold God's reputation and his reputation is affected by the words that come out of our mouths. That's what the third commandment is all about. Brothers and sisters, God is our witness And that means that we are always accountable. As the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 12, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. That can make you scared. For we all have spoken careless words. Which of us can stand before God's throne? brothers and sisters, before God's throne stands a mediator, our advocate, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, he paid for all our sins. Also, the sins against the third commandment when he died on the cross. And what's more, he kept the third commandment perfectly. And God gives his perfect obedience to all who believe in Jesus Christ as a free and undeserved gift of grace. When we dishonor God's name, we may come before his throne of grace and plead for mercy. And we may know that our mediator in heaven also pleads before God's throne on the basis of his perfect obedience and his shed blood. And so we can go on in life, rejoicing in the forgiveness that God gives so generously. And we may resolve anew to praise the Lord who lives and reigns forever.